what if the things you love, especially the old things, really can can kill you? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I've got nothing to back that up with. No data, no science. But uh, we're going to talk about old things and whether or not they're dangerous for your health. <laughs> Is that what we're doing, Jake? <laughs> Clickbait. <laughs> can the things you love in your childhood kill you? They can. They, you know what? Literally. If you have a strong love for, I don't know, shotguns as a child. Then... <laughs> or cocaine. Or cocaine. Yes, this is true. Or butter. <laughs> <laughs> or swimming pools full of razors. Or vampire pool lakes. <laughs> I don't know. You were talking about Lake of uh, Dracula. Oh, yeah, that's right. Lakes filled with <laughs> Lake Dracula. Lake of Dracula. All right. What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. I'm Jake. I am Paul. Thanks again for joining us inside our crazy brains. It's getting there off are to no a words. crazy, no, crazy no words. start already. No words. But we are here today to talk about old things. Specifically... Not me. Nostalgia. We're not here to talk about me as not, an old thing. Yeah, we don't... We've talked about Paul enough. He's an old thing, but he's not the old thing we're talking about. <laughs> um, but we're talking about nostalgia. Right. Today. Right. And, and our fascination with it. Right. There's this... And, and our anger with it. Sometimes we we have this... There's a weird vibe around nostalgia. We love it. We love it. But also, I think we kind of hate it sometimes. Well, or maybe that depends on how old you are, whether you love or hate nostalgia. Well, and I also think it's contextual, which we will probably get Nuance. into if we remember. Gray areas. Yes, yes. Because I both love nostalgia and hate nostalgia. If it feels like my childhood is being pillaged for profit, then I don't like that. But if it feels like it salutes my childhood, then I'm all in. I am all in on that. Salutes. It took me a while to understand what word you said. I was like, aluth? Aluth. What word is that? And uh, so that's going to be the bulk of our discussion uh, is nostalgia. Yes. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But then we're going to do a Rank Geeks, kind of springboarding off of that because we like springboards here. Yes. Like uh, as a kid, I would go to the I jump on springboards all the time. You'd go to those open gyms at, like, gymnastic places, and they would have springboards into the foam pits. Did you ever do those as a kid, Paul? No, they didn't. Were those have, not they, invented they yet? They didn't invent foam at, at that time. <laughs> it was just rocks. Yeah, you, I love to— You just jumped into pools of rocks. I love to springboard into the pools of foam. <laughs> and so we're going to do that by talking about our top three remakes that are better than the original. So take that, Nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, that'll be an interesting conversation. It was an interesting exercise for me. It was. It was. And so I'm excited to unpack that and of course wrap up this whole this whole shindig, if that's a word we can still use in 2018, with the most least important thing. So it's as as usual. As there's usual. going to be fights, there's going to be arguments, blood loss perhaps. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, we have not lost a lot of blood on this podcast yet, not but it's yet. only a matter of time. Yeah. And only it, a matter of time. I think it's really been to the detriment of the show that it hasn't been as Well, violent. it's true, although it's not quite as audible. You People know? love audible violence. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, the it, sound of bloodletting. Yeah. Yeah. And Jake is definitely ready for a fight. He's wearing, like, his Packers gear. He's he's clearly ready to, to rumble. Yeah. I look like I'm about to step into, like, the MMA ring. Yes. And he weighs, outweighs me by about... 200 pounds. So. Wow. Fat jokes. This early in the morning. <laughs> Not cool, Paul. Not cool. All right. Anyway. Now it's time to talk about a time when I didn't weigh 200 pounds more than Paul. <laughs> Paul, what's... What are you most nostalgic for from your childhood? I wanted to start this off by saying, like, what's one thing you, when you think back to your childhood years, we'll say like 12 and under, 
what's one thing? I don't care if it's pop culture or not. That you just that thing was the best. This memory, this item, this toy, this food, this movie, like this experience. What makes you feel nostalgic the most? Wow, that is a deep, complex question. Yeah. I'm very little sleep. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That's that's what that's what I bring to this show. <laughs> I don't pull any punches. Yeah. So okay. So under the age of twelve. Yeah. You know, I do have to say, there's a lot of things that pop into my mind. I remember walking around Taos, New Mexico, where I grew up with my mom, walking to the library. I remember baking the cookies. I remember. Um, the weird shag carpet that we had in our house that I would roll around in, but but a lot of a lot of my memories are actually wrapped up in pop culture. I remember um, every Saturday morning I would wake up with my sister and we would watch Saturday morning cartoons until my parents made us turn off the TV. We love those Saturday morning cartoons, and and interestingly enough, one, one of my uh, longtime companions. At that time, besides my sister, was this homemade Winnie the Pooh stuffed animal that I had. Um, one of one of my parents' friends actually made it for me before I was born, so it was a part of my childhood from the very get go. And so, Pooh, my sister and I, we would watch those cartoons all the time. And so, as we have seen in the last couple of years, all these Christopher Robin movies with with Pooh front and center. It has sparked a little nostalgia in me. You know, those those movies make me feel very nostalgic. And whenever I see one of those movies, I think about my own childhood and my own weird... This That was probably not the best way to say this, but my own weird relationship with this stuffed animal. <laughs> with poo? <laughs> with poo. Yeah, because... I think because, they call that being anal retentive. Yeah, that when was... When you have a, a weird relationship with poo. <laughs> <laughs> That was so inappropriate for this podcast. Uh, no, but I, 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 sorry, this is a, a little bit of a trail, but it's funny that you say poo and that you make a bad joke about poo, or maybe I made the bad joke. Yeah, I think you made the bad joke. But I, I, I laugh about this. Was, was Winnie the Pooh, was that A.A. A. Milne's way of getting around the censors? He's like, they won't let me say poo, <laughs> but I'm going to add an H and I'm going to attach it to a bear and I'm going to say it all the time. And I'm going to have a little, I'm going to have all these people saying poo everywhere they go. Like, was there a little bit of him that a. A. really just wanted to get the whole world no. saying the word poo? No, I don't even, it, it was written like 300 years ago. I don't even think that poo meant the same thing as it does now. What did it, I didn't know that there was an alternate alternate meeting for poo. Uh, well, there he is. It's a bear. <laughs> yeah. <but. laughs> uh, so what about you? That's that's sketchy. No, but that's that's I mean, poo's great. Did you what did you see? <laughs> what did you think about <laughs> poo's the best? Poo is wonderful. He's just... my poo is very squishy and cuddly. <laughs> and that's everything you need to know about Paul. <laughs> he cuddles with poo. Um what did you think about the most recent remake of Winnie the Pooh that had the whole soundtrack was Zoe Deschanel, mm-hmm. and they were they were hunting the Baxen, like as as a longtime Pooh fan. <laughs> what did you really need that? to just say think about Winnie that? the Pooh? Now that you went down that trail, <laughs> what did you think about that remake? You know, it, like the Disney remake, I uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was a really delightful movie. It was, um, and of course, it's it's predicated on its own sort of nostalgia. You know, yeah. Christopher Robin. It almost feels like if you remember way back in the day, Hook. You know, where Robin Williams. We always talk about Robin Williams at least once every podcast. Robin Williams is a grown-up Peter Pan who has lost his sense of childhood, and so he needs to go back and re- reclaim that. And that's really what the what the latest Christopher Robin was. It was it was about sort of reclaiming that wonder of childhood. And oh, see, and I was I was talking about the animated one. I totally forgot about that. Oh one. my goodness! I totally forgot about the one you're referring. I had to. no. Idea. I was thinking Zoe Deschanel. What are, what are you talking about? Yeah, she did the soundtrack for the animated. Uh, remake that they did a couple years ago, probably I which say, I probably saw as well. And so good, but anyways, but you're talking about the Christopher Robin movie, yeah, Disney's with, Christopher Robin, which uh, was Ewan McGregor. Yes, exactly, yeah. and, and that was is really predicated on exactly what we're talking about. It's, yeah. it's predicated on the idea of reclaiming your childhood, which which in some ways is what I think some of this nostalgia is all about, right? Well, it's it's. 
this side of us that harkens back to a time that felt simpler to us. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and it, and it manifests itself in so many different ways, whether that's the infamous Make America Great Again <laughs> movement. <laughs> yeah. And the argument yeah, there's a certain nostalgia for and against for that. that. Right? Yeah. We, like, because there's a lot of people that see that movement and say, what are you talking about? America right. wasn't always this great. Right. But I think what underlies it more so than actual history or actual facts is this feeling of there was a time when life was simpler and it felt less complex and it felt less messy. It's like all of us are actually just saying, can I just be a child again? Right. That's, that's my psychological take on that. No, and, and, and I, I think that applies to our, our pop culture I the same way. I think that's really true. I mean, when when I look back, and you're only like like two months out of high school, so you probably don't really <laughs> have this feeling, but, but you know, when I was going through high school, it, it felt like a really dark time, you know, in a way, because you had all these tests, you had all these feelings inside yourself, you had these girls that you were worried about, you had these these issues you were worried about, and it was a really angsty time for me and a lot of high schoolers, I think. Now, now that I'm old, you look back on those times and you look really fondly at them and you think, oh, those times were so wonderful and innocent and joyful and how much fun I had and so few responsibilities I had. And I think that there's something about, and and maybe this is sort of a, a God-given thing where we look back on, on the past and we just have these warm wonderful feelings about what we've been through. I think that, that our experiences always look better in the rearview mirror in some ways. And, right. and so we have this this desire for that simpler time, that innocent time. And, yeah. and definitely when you talk about our childhoods, that's a huge deal right. because we really didn't have any, you know, any huge responsibilities. Right. Yeah. Most of us, at least here in first world America. Right. In spite of all the problems that we still had and we all have as kids, it was less – we we knew about them less. We carried them less. It's not that we never carried them or didn't carry them, but it was different. It's yeah. different when you're a kid and you're less cynical. And yeah. so the way you soak up the things around you from the movies, the television, the books, yeah. uh, the people around you is – all through a, a, a much different lens, yeah, and you know that it's through a lens of that innocence of that uh, just kind of straightforwardness, right? Where it wasn't there wasn't all this duplicity that you were encountering in, in yourself. You didn't realize how messed up yourself was, yeah. And no, you absolutely. You were okay, um, yeah, and and so then everything we experience through that lens, once we get older. And we become cynical and yeah. we become less innocent and we realize how yeah. duplicitous we ourselves are and messed up we ourselves are. It's like, man, I miss I miss that version of me and I miss that yeah. version of how I saw the world. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that there's so much validity to that. And, and obviously when you look at our pop culture today – it has clearly struck a nerve. I was doing some 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 research last night and looking at all the different aspects of of pop culture now that it's predicated in some ways on on nostalgia and you and and the thing is people eat it up you look at netflix they have based their entire business model almost on nostalgia you have you have fuller house which was a terrible show but still was one of the highest quote-unquote rated shows in in netflix um they, they do the Gilmore Girls. They're, I think they're doing a Sabrina remake. They're doing all of this sort of stuff. I was looking at the new, um, the new CBS schedule because yeah. I, I review TV too. They have Magnum PI coming out. <laughs> they have Murphy Brown coming out. They already have SWAT and MacGyver and Hawaii Five O. It is. Is it the 1970s and 80s and 90s again? Well, and that's the thing. I mean, they're taking these things from the past and re, you know, reimagining them in some ways and really in some ways not for a new generation. They look for things that people loved and they hope that they'll continue to love them. And so for all of our love for nostalgia, Paul, what do you think it is that triggers that line from loving the past and wanting to re-experience the past and soak in things like Roseanne. Right. F- even though it ended poorly. Right. Or Although Murphy still, Brown. Although it'll still go on in the form of the Connors, yeah. believe it or not. So, um, what, it, what, 
What in your experience, what triggers people to move to the other side and get angry about the fact that everything that's coming out seems to be a remake, a reboot, a sequel, a, right. a straight up copycat? Right. Well, I think there's there's two things to that, um, and I'm so glad you asked. Um, I think that that when you look at some of those properties and you feel like they're exploiting your childhood, then then. Then it makes you angry. Like, but, for instance, for instance, yeah. and, and, and part of it is because if the version that you saw in your childhood was really good or you remember it as being really good, there's, there's the idea that you're messing with something that you shouldn't mess with. You know, I think that, that we hear that conversation a lot when it comes to you. And I had that, that reaction, actually, when... I heard about this new Mary Poppins movie coming out. Why are they doing a new Mary Poppins movie? It looks kind of fun, but the first one was so great. Why, why, you know, and it's going to be a sequel and all that sort of stuff. So it's not exactly the same thing. But when I look at the Magnum PI, for instance, um, when I was growing up, I have watched it recently. It is not a very good show, but in my childhood, it was the coolest show ever it had the ferrari which i know you don't care about it had you know it had this cool guy catching criminals and it had you know these it had so many elements that i really enjoyed um and so when i see the remake i think why 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 remake something that that was so precious to my childhood why put a different spin on it why why take this element from from me because that's what it sort of feels like now Contrast that with Netflix's Stranger Things, an original property that totally plays on my childhood. You know, that, that idea of the 1980s. It takes place in the, the mid-1980s when I was growing up. These kids were this very same age that I was. So it touches on all the things that were popular, all the, all the pop culture, and yet is an, it is completely a new property. Mm-hmm. And when it, when it plays on my childhood in that way when it causes me to remind me of my childhood without actually mucking around in it it's delightful i mean stranger things i'm i'm all in on stranger things i'm ready for season three in part because in part because it's a really well written show but in part because it reminds me of that really precious time in my life so would you say like you're contending that because what I was going to ask you when you talk about exploiting, right? You know, or uh, your like a childhood memory or a, a something from the past uh, for profit or for whatever that right. is, is. Are you saying that anybody who's doing a remake is doing it for with like that? Your basic assumption, maybe just emotionally, even right. if not exactly logically, is that they're exploiting my childhood. Why don't they leave better off alone? Versus make something new that feels and reminds me of the past but right. doesn't doesn't mess with my memory of how this one thing was even if that one thing may not be as great as i remember it to be right. i like to remember it to be great and i like to yeah. let it be its own thing yeah no i and i think that that's totally right i think that i think that when i look at it shows like magnum pi and even the new murphy brown remake all that kind of stuff it smacks me of desperation yeah. it's it 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 suggests that these people are really desperate to grab an audience and they're going to try to grab that audience in in any way they can. And it feels exploitative. It feels cheap. Yeah. It feels like it cheapens the property. Whether it does or not, I think, is is arguable. You know, it's, it's not like they have completely taken the old Magnum P.I. episodes and blown them up and wiped them from my memory. They're just doing something new. But that's the way it feels emotionally. I wonder too. You know, one of the one of the interesting things that that I've noticed in the last couple of years that this nostalgia wave is largely predicated on my generation. Do you see the same thing in your generation? Are you seeing things from your own childhood, from your own upbringing, that are sort of being brought back? I mean, it's it's really fascinating because when I think about even The Simpsons. I mean, you could make a play that the the Simpsons, even though it's never been off the air, is is sort of a nostalgic show now because it's been, you know, it, it's been there for your entire life, right? Yeah. Even though you've never seen an episode. I've never seen an episode, but it has been. No, uh, the Simpsons and America's Funniest Home Videos have been running ever since I was 
the year of my birth. <laughs> I think The Simpsons might have come. I think The Simpsons actually might be a year after I was born. But either way, uh, these shows have been going on my entire life. So there's a, there's this one interesting thing in that there's probably very few shows like that when you were. You know, almost 30 right. years old, or it's like this show's been on TV for 30 years. Yeah, no. Uh, so there's a, a unique thing there that uh, previous generations didn't have, where certain shows have just been on for so long. Yeah. Uh, but I think um, I think what we're seeing now is is my you know millennials. I'm I'm squarely I'm smack dab in the middle of right. millennial any right. way you slice it. Uh, there's no, like I'm not I'm nowhere near the yeah the cutoff I'm just right in the middle of it yeah as a late '80s baby and so um, but you are seeing millennials as they become older and older because old millennials are now in their mid and upper 30s right becoming so more nostalgic yeah you know, transformer stuff that would be a huge thing from for their them, ch- right? from their childhood and um, I'm trying to think of uh, some other examples of. I, I think we're probably just on the cusp of seeing more and more of yeah. that rebirth. Or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah, for yeah. example, uh, is another good example of that. Yeah, and and a good and a bad example of that, where people were very, you know, there was this side of them that wanted to love the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies because. Man, this was such a big part of my childhood. Yeah. Uh, but and it was a part of my childhood too, by the way. You know? Right. It's, so it's already gone through a couple of nostalgic interests. Right. Um, or or Pokemon, even with the resurgence of Pokemon Go. I yeah. mean, that Pokemon first came out when I was in elementary school. Yeah. And now has had this huge resurgence through Pokemon Go. You know, maybe kind of petered along, and and so that's that's weird for me and. Uh, but uh, so I think we're on the cusp of seeing a lot more of that yeah. because I think a lot of it is driven by economics. Well, and that's why it's focused on like we've seen it be focused on you know boomers and Xers. Yeah, and it's going to start tra- you know it's going to start moving its way because more millennials are going to be moving into positions to be able to create exactly where they weren't before, and that more millennials are going to have buying power and. Yeah. That advertisers are going to go after, and so creators are going to be able to sell yeah. this nostalgia. And so I think we're probably just right on the very edge of seeing that shifting more towards millennials in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, when I look at it, the the impetus for this nostalgia, obviously, a lot of it is business, and I do think that some of it is desperation, where where people are just looking for eyeballs. There's the, this the entertainment before. culture. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's just. Back in the day, I think there's a little nostalgia actually amongst the the people who are making them because Absolutely. back then there was one culture. Lots of people just sat down and watched the very same show as a family. Blah 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 blah. Now the culture is so fragmented; everything is sort of niche, and so the, these products they sort of harken back to a time when we were all sort of gathered in the same culture, as a, as opposed to being sort of nicheified. And so they they remember that monoculture. And so they think that's when ratings were really big. We can get those again. But I also think that, and Jake, you you alluded to this. People are are people of your generation. People of my generation have already reached these positions of power. People of your generation are slowly coming up. And I think that when you're a creator, you look for what is going to be successful. You look for what's going to make money. But if you're a real creator you do something based on what you love. And I think that these these creators, they have these warm, fuzzy feelings about their childhoods just like we do. And so they, even as they're in these positions, they long to return to that time. Yeah. And what better way to do that than to create a property around those? Right. And so I think for me, it kind of, if you if you can put it in two cat people in two categories, or not people, but these properties into two categories, nostalgic content. Um, I think we tend to be a lot more okay with content that is inspired by our past rather than taken from our past and transplanted into our future because there's a sense of, I don't want, I want this thing to remain the way where it was, but 
at the same time, we like to be inspired, like we like to feel those feelings. And so make something inspired by that, but don't make it exactly right, right. that. So with that in mind, let me ask you a question, Jake. And actually, this is a two-part question. When you look back at your childhood, what what aspect of your childhood, either a property or just sort of a sense, if you can you quantify a sense, would you like for Hollywood to use or exploit? What would you be entertained by? And what what thing from your childhood would you absolutely hate being remade? Yeah. So the the that the second one is actually a lot easier for me yeah. than the first. And because I, I think I've mentioned it on here before, and that's Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes, you know, Waterson created that again, pretty close like it came out pretty close to when greatest I was novelist born. ever. One of the greatest writers <laughs> of all time. And and you know, that permeated my childhood. Like as soon as I was old enough to read and discovering Calvin and Hobbes, I was reading Calvin and Hobbes and I was pouring over Calvin and Hobbes and I would hate to see Anybody, and I'm grateful that Bill Watterson has held off on yeah. so many people trying to exploit that over the years. And uh, so I would hate to see anybody ever. I'm because what's going to happen, Paul? This is what's going to happen. I'm going to turn like 50. Bill Watterson is going to pass away, and one of his whoever you know gets the rights after he passes away is going to be hungry for some money. And they're going to sell the rights, and somebody's going to make Calvin and Hobbes, and I'm going to be pissed. Yeah, I'm going to be very upset. Yeah, well, understandably so. But so. if if for some reason Bill Watterson gave me the rights to Calvin and Hobbes, man, I'd be exploiting the Paul, heck of Paul would not even blink <laughs> before I'm he took buy an island in Aruba. <laughs> and an island in Aruba? I, I think Aruba is an island. Yeah. Never mind. Go uh, ahead. Is it a chain of islands? I don't know my Aruban geography. Yeah, we really need well. to take more Caribbean cruises, obviously. Yeah, that's our problem. So. Uh, I would. I'll eventually hate Paul because he rang yes. Calvin and Hobbes for all they're worth. <laughs> as far as what I would like to see, you know what? I want a Pog movie. A Pog movie? Yeah. You know what? Let's just do it. Pog. They were so pointless, anyways, right? Are those those wooden things? Yeah, like, like cardboard little. They're you know they're nothing burgers. You. You millennials, you had the weirdest toys. You okay, had the pogs. No, you guys had pet you, rocks. Well, no, that was before my time. Mm, that was chia weird. pets. Yeah, well, we did have <laughs> chia pets. No, but the pogs. And what was with these little tiny skateboards? Did you have one of those? Little oh, fingerboard. Tiny... You know oh, what? A my. fingerboards movie. So good. That'd be so great. <laughs> But the funny thing is, is I don't want to see those. I want to see those as like tongue in cheek, like the yeah. Lego movie. Yeah. I want to see somebody go to like the Lego movie is a great example of somebody taking something. I know Legos weren't exclusive to my childhood, right, right, but right. to take something like that and have some fun with it, have, you know, play around with it, be goofy with it. So if they want to do that with pogs, if yeah. they want to do that with fingerboards, yeah, like a, a hardcore fingerboard movie would be great. You know what I want to see uh, from deck. your childhood? Yeah. I want to see a Street Sharks movie. Street Sharks? Do you remember the Street Sharks? No. Oh, your parents were probably much better. Than yeah, they might have sheltered I, me. But we, what about like a Hot Wheels movie? I don't know. Oh, I'd be totally in on it. I'm Hot surprised Wheels. they haven't made a Hot Wheels movie. See, that honestly. was my toy. Yeah. That, that was the thing that I played with probably the most. Legos and Hot Wheels. Yeah. Those were it. You probably never played with Hot Wheels because you hated cars. No, I, I, I did have Hot Wheels, I did, but it wasn't all about Hot Wheels. Yeah. So you know what I did? This is a little... This is the way I did Hot Wheels. I had one Hot Wheel that was like the only one I... And it was a 1968 Corvette convertible. <laughs> and that was the only one. I didn't need more because I didn't... I just like this is the one car for me. All right. Forever. So if you need any more proof that I'm really, really geeky and always have been, I had like... Uh, literally hundreds of, of Hot Wheels cars. I, every every other weekend, it seemed like my my best friend and I we would walk down to the to the five and dime store and buy a Hot Wheels. I still remember they cost a dollar seventeen a piece, so we had tons of them. And I would race them like I had these little race tracks, and I would race them. Not only would I race them, I would keep track of who won and who lost, yeah, yeah. so I could have sort of like this tournament. Yeah. It was really cool. See, and I was with my buddy cutting up notebook paper and making our own deck of 52 cards so we could play cards in study hall. Mm, man. Hardcore. 
Yeah. Hardcore. All right. All right. What are you guys most nostalgic for? What are you hoping or not hoping will be ripped from your childhood <laughs> and transplanted in the present day and maligned? And I, you know what? That's my final point. I think sometimes we worry that those that are making this don't have a respect for yeah. the source material. I think and that, I think that's sometimes true. Yeah. That might really be the thing that we're when we say exploit right really what we're talking about is we're worried that somebody won't respect this the way we respect it and so you know what what do you hope from your childhood will be respected one day by money hungry business people (laughs) let us know but now it's time to talk about the times the best times where people have where it actually worked and you know what it was better yeah because sometimes that happens. They had respect, and they made things better. Yes. So now it's time for Rank Geeks. Paul, I'm glad you showered today, even though it ruins, <laughs> ruins our whole Rank Geeks vibe. Yeah, it's true. When we're not just sitting here in our own putrid stench. You make up for it. Putting things in numerical order. So that's why I got to do double. <laughs> that's why I just rubbed garbage on myself that's this right. morning. That's I was right. Because like, Paul's going to shower. All over the face. Yeah, you know, I had a food fight last night. Didn't shower after that. Yeah. That's a surprisingly foul smell. Have you ever actually been in a food fight, Paul? You know, actually, I never have. Yeah, it's one of those... We all talk about food fights, but I feel like very few people have actually been in a real food fight. Yeah. So there was this one time in in, uh, high school where, uh, let's see, I think I was a senior and the local youth group was doing a food fight for like the young high school kids. And so I was there. So it was an organized food fight. It was an organized food fight by the local. Doesn't that take away some of the charm? Uh, it might. I don't know. But you've never been in one period. Yeah, yeah, so who knows? knows? Is who there knows? any charm in the original one? <laughs> but so my younger brother was all about it. He was a freshman in high school and I was a senior in high school. And so we were there. And I just remember being struck by the fact like they were mostly using uh, ketchup and mustard and mayonnaise and like banana peels and stuff like that. And, you know, some of the the tropes. Right, right. It smelled terrible. All that stuff mixed with the body odor of a hundred teenagers. is That stench is burned in my brain now. So anyways, food fights. Wow. Not great. Wow. Not great. But that's how I smell right now. That's all to say, here we are in Rank Geeks. (laughs) And that's what Paul has to sit through right now. And that's why you guys are glad. This is why I always want these shows to go shorter. Yeah. This is why you guys are glad we don't have 4D (laughs) smell-o-vision, smell-o-listen. But we're here to talk about the, the top three remakes that were better than the original, as ranked by us geeks. So, Paul... What made number three on your list? And tell us how you approached your list. Boy, this was a really tough list because there were there were some there were some movies where I saw the remakes but never saw the originals that seemed like that was be, a problem. Yeah, yeah, because like the thing is technically a remake. You know, the nineteen eighty two thing. It's a classic horror movie was based on a, on the thing from another world, but I've never seen that, so I right. can't really judge that. Um, there were some that, that I had seen the original, but not the remake. I've no. heard great things about it. So Pete's Dragon was off the list. So I... Yeah, it was also off the list for me. Yeah, yeah. Only, only saw the original. It, it's really tricky. And then there's somewhere, like King Kong. Like, I was really struggling with King Kong. Because, yeah. because King Kong has been remade, like, 27 times. So which one... Exactly. Which one is yeah? And and the original has a certain charm of its own. The Peter Jackson 2005 version seemed like it was pretty good. So I I went with just really classic stuff. I had to have seen both versions, of yep. course. And it's just complete personal preference. So my number three, number three, with that lead in, True Grit. True Grit. Yes, the original version was a John Wayne, Glenn Campbell classic that really kind of dragged for me. Yeah, and I hear the girl was super annoying. The girl was super annoying, and frankly, I hate to say this, but Glenn Campbell was pretty annoying too. There's there's a reason why he did not, you know, make a (laughs) lot of movies. John Wayne is always John Wayne. It's the Duke. Yeah, exactly. You can't argue. He doesn't play anybody else but himself. (laughs) But but the 2010 remake with Jeff Bridges and Matt Damon Mm -hmm. and 
Haley Steinfeld. Is that her name? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Anyway, that was a great version. It stuck a lot more closely to the original story with the language. It felt it felt both funnier and deeper and more important and frankly more enjoyable. I just I just thought that when I think of it's very rare to see a movie for me where I think that the remake has exceeded the original but this was one of the few that did yeah i never saw the original true grit that was another one for me where i couldn't compare because i hadn't seen the original personally Next year's Hall of shame um it sounds like not based on your ringing <laughs> endorsement of the original <laughs> but uh john wayne with with reins clenched in his teeth though it's worth it just for that yeah there you go but uh, uh i did I did appreciate the new True Grit. I have to say, whenever I watched it, I didn't get to see it in theaters. I saw it on home video. I think we were, I was even watching it with my in-laws for some reason. And the speakers weren't very good, so it was so hard yeah. to understand what Jeff Bridges was saying. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh. That sounds like Jimmy Stewart chewing tobacco. But yeah, anyway. I like I, – so I appreciated it, but I, I felt like I didn't get the full experience because I couldn't, I couldn't hear it on my yeah. in-laws TV. But uh, that – you know what? Jeff Bridges – Super great. Jeff Bridges, super great. Although he is getting to be a little like John Wayne, where he just sort of plays the same guy over and over again. Yeah. But that's a, that guy. But if somebody is ever cool. remade The Big Lebowski, I might be mad about I've that. never seen The Big Lebowski. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Number, uh, number three. Before I get to my number three, I'll say the same thing as Paul. Like, those were two of my caveats as I was going through the list. I had to have seen both, both the original yeah. and the new one. And so I found that there were a lot of places where I had either seen one or the other, but not both. There were very few where I had seen both. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I decided what it says about me more than just random happenstance. Yeah. In most of the cases where. I just happened to have seen this movie at some point. Um, But the other thing that I I wanted to do is I wanted to – the original had to be in good standing because there's some things that were remakes where the original was considered a a crappy movie anyways. Right. And nobody liked it. Right. But it got remade because maybe there was a book or somebody was like, no, I have a vision that could make this really good. So, for example, this is is one I had never seen the whole thing, but I've seen parts of 1995's Judge Dredd. For example, gotcha. with Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's not considered a good movie. It's considered a, t- a, not, a not good movie. It's considered it is, a bad yeah. movie. Yeah. And so to say that 2012's Dread, you know, was better is like kind of a no-brainer. So anyway, so there's there was my extra caveat was the original had to be in in pretty good standing. Right. right. It had to be competing against something really right. legitimate. And so uh, here's a nostalgic. This one is nostalgic for me in particular. Uh, number three is Spider 2017's Spider-Man: Homecoming being better than the original Sam Raimi directed Spider-Man featuring Tobey Maguire. Even better than Spider-Man 2, which might have been better than Spider-Man 1. Yeah, see, and this, you actually, just that being on your list, that was a struggle for me, because that would not have made my list in part because it's a totally different story, although it's featuring the same character. So even even trying to judge these these remakes, is that technically a remake, or is that... I mean, it sort of is, and it, yet it yeah. sort of isn't. Because they, they make changes, but at the same time, you're, you're dealing with the same character. He, the parents are dead, yeah. living with an aunt, yeah. you know, have a, have a love interest, thrust into the a world of superpowers that feel strange and unnatural to you because of a spider bite and have to face a crazy adult villain that, you know, wants yeah. to kill your teen self. Yeah. And so I, that's where I considered it. Yeah, a remake. You know, not because it was a straight shot for shot or anything like that. Sure, but sure. I and and I. But yeah, it's a it's a tough thing because some of these are going to be like that. Yeah. But, um, the the Spider Man from two thousand two with Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, Willem Dafoe. That I think was the one of the first, if not the first. No, it was the second. Second PG-13 movie I ever saw in theaters. Really? Yeah. The first was Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Spider-Man was the second. And it felt so much more edgy. 
Yeah. Because it wasn't based on this classic, like revered right. Right. book. It was based on a, it was dark. It had the Green Goblin, and it felt oh boy, that Green Goblin was super creepy, super too. creepy, right? And so, um, as much as that series tapered off by the third, really specifically movie, and people were like, "This is just a straight up bad movie," right? 2002 Spider-Man, strong nostalgic appeal for me because I was a little 12, 13-year-old kid, and I was just like, this is incredible. This is the first, first, second PG-13 movie, first superhero movie I've ever seen on the big screen. This is amazing. But the Tom Holland version, way better. Yeah. Michael Keaton is a more compelling villain even than Defoe's Green Goblin, which is – Defoe's Green Goblin was pretty darn good. It was pretty darn good. But Tom Holland – kicks Tobey Maguire all over the place when it comes to playing a great Spider-Man. Well, I tell you what, there is something... The thing about Tom Holland is that he really taps into that whole um, teenage aspect of it. I mean, Tobey Maguire, he... You can tell that he's a twenty-something playing a teenager, right? right? And 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 I think that that you're right. The the William Defoe character was really great. The Green Goblin was really great, but it was more of a typical villain. And when it comes to the Homecoming. Tom Holland really does a perfect Spider-Man in, in a way, and Michael Keaton brought some depth and complex, some complexity to the the evil doer without ever making him good. You know, right. I think that it was it was a really good movie. I'd, I'd want to see the original again because for me, in my mind, they'd be pretty comparable. But uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming was a pretty pretty darn good movie. Yeah. So there you go, Paul. Number two. Number two, this was... Perhaps poo? Poo. No. No poo. For your number two? No. <laughs> hey What's up? <laughs> Continue. Continue. So wrong. So wrong. Now people are not going to concentrate on my, my actual number two pick, which is Dracula. 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 This is another hard one. Because it's been done so many times. It like has Spider-Man. been done so many times. It, it, right before we came on this podcast, as a matter of fact, I just happened to look at Dracula films, mm-hmm. films with Dracula in them. There have been a lot there of There are actually Dracula probably films. more than There's there like, have been Spider-Man yeah. movies. Oh, yeah. There's like 50 of them, and uh, including Batman versus Dracula, which is a movie I've got to see now. You've never seen it? No, okay, of course that, not. That yeah. needs to be rectified. Yeah, and then I can write another book about it. But the original 1931 version of Dracula, it's, it's one of those... Is the Lugosi? Bella Lugosi. It was a formative movie in terms of the, the horror genre. It's also incredibly boring. It is really boring. Um, you can appreciate it for the time that it was made, and I know that people were fainting in the aisles when they saw it, but it just it doesn't really hold up with time. In contrast, Bram Stoker's Dracula, 1992, starring Gary Oldman, was it is still one of those movies that I think about every once in a while, and I think about Gary Oldman's Dracula yeah. as he... You talked about him before. Oh, yeah. man, oh, man. He is just one of the creepiest-looking guys ever, licking that razor as he... Oh, it's just... It's a really well-done version, and it has some some depth and complexity that I think, obviously, the original 1931 version did not have, and it has some, some spiritual components that, that kind of I dig, too. So... I think that, that the 1992 version of, of Bram Stoker, Stoker's Dracula, I'd watch any day before the original. There you go. And so obviously you don't con- – because it doesn't center on Dracula, you don't consider Nosferatu to be the original. See, and that's a tricky thing, yeah. you know, because Nosferatu is a better movie than Dracula. But because it's – it's because – it, it is based on the Dracula story. I mean, right. it definitely definitely is based on the. the yeah, Bronx if we say Stoker. Magnificent Seven is based on Seven Samurai, exactly. Yeah. They had to change some things because they didn't have the rights to the book and all this kind of stuff. But for the most part, is it is a remake, so that's a tricky thing. Nosferatu. If you were going to ever see a silent movie, that might be one to put on your list. There are some legitimately. There are some. Some laugh-out-loud moments for a modern audience, but there are some legitimately creepy times, too. Yeah, silent movies, they just had a way. You know, sometimes I remember watching a silent version of Jekyll and Hyde, the si- like the black-and-white silent movie Jekyll and Hyde, one yeah. of the OGs. And it was... It was funny how it would go back and forth from being hilarious because all of a sudden this creepy scene 
they start playing ragtime. <laughs> it's really like completely thrown off because yeah. you're like, oh my goodness, this is so creepy. Like the transformation was really good from Jekyll yeah. to Hyde. I was really impressed by how creepy that was. Yeah. But then once he had transformed and started like going on a tear, it's like, <laughs> and I'm like, what is happening right going now? On? It's totally, totally taking me out of the mood. I'm not freaked out anymore. This is dumb. Um, so, anyways, yeah, it's a, but. Yeah, I think Nosferatu is the same way. We may have to watch Nosferatu for for our Halloween episode or something. Oh yeah, I, I, that might be idea. that might be one I'd be down for. All right, all right. Uh, so for me, number two, uh, and this is gonna blow Paul's mind about me. It's gonna change all his perceptions about me. All In right. one pick, one on rank geeks. Pick. Yeah, number two for me is 1998's Ever After: A Cinderella Story. Starring Drew Barrymore and DuGray Scott. And it is way better than the 1952 Disney cartoon no, Cinderella. No, that cannot be. It can be. Have you seen Ever After? No, I have not it's seen Ever After. It's a good movie. But, but Cinderella, the original Disney classic Cinderella? Yes, you can't go wrong that. with that. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm just saying Ever After is the better movie. Ever After. Ever after, so are you the only one in the world who even remembers I'm that movie? Not the only one in the world who. I mean, it had, like I said, Drew Barrymore, Angelica Huston, Do Gray Scott, Patrick Godfrey. I mean, right there. Well, that's and, all you need. Angelica Huston. Anytime that she's in anything, she's pretty good. And Patrick Godfrey played Leonardo. Like this is the cool thing. Cinderella in this version is best friends with Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> Which sound like okay when you say it that way sounds crazy, but in the in practically speaking in this movie it's great. He's this lovable, quirky inventor artist guy, right? I'll be watching for this on MST3K. I think <laughs> it's not an MST3K movie. It's really good because what my one of my problems with the original Cinderella good movie, good movie. But I have I have two main qualms with it. One. It gets lost in some of the music sometimes, as musicals tend to do. Cinderella, Cinderella, da, 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 That's probably da, da, da. the best song in the whole yeah, movie, right? Um, and so, you know, I, and I don't, I don't get all, I don't care that much for the animals. They're cute. I like the mice, but it just, it's not doing it for me. And then the other problem is, the prince falls in love with Cinderella after one dance, you know, in a night. It happens. It, I guess that happens. You know, What's great about Ever After? Is what is we really get to learn about the character of Cinderella, and we really get to see her actually interact with the prince in unique settings before they ever dance together, and they actually have a contentious relationship, and she's not a fan, and uh, she chucks fruit at him you know, at certain <laughs> times, and and so we get this this relationship that is developed, and he actually falls in love with Cinderella for who she is, rather than I saw her, she was hot, and we danced together, so I'm going to marry her for the rest of my life. Look at her; she has a great gown. Yeah, right. So what a it nice feels, coach. It feels like a more empowering Cinderella because here's a Cinderella who is beautiful on the inside and outside, and the prince loves her for her inside before he ever loves her for her outside. So did you see the uh, the new live-action remake of Cinderella that, that Disney did? I did, and I did like – I actually – and I was talking about this with my wife. I actually think I liked that version better than the cartoon you, as well. Yeah. But I prefer Ever After, even, I think, to the, the live-action remake. Yes. Both of these are technically live-action yes. remakes, whereas the, the the 2015 was almost, you know, was very, very closely. It was beat for beat, really, yeah. from what I understand. Right. pretty darn close. Ironically, that's the one movie that I've reviewed that I didn't actually get to see through to the end because the film broke or something Oh, interesting. Like that. Yeah, they, they actually booted us out of the theater. So. Yeah, so I actually like both versions of Cinderella, like Cinderella better than the cartoon. But I, I, I know it's my wife's probably going to be... Yeah, it's sacrilegious, sacrilegious even to my wife. She loves the original. Yeah, the original, actually, it was one of my very favorite Disney cartoons. For some reason, that mid-period of Disney animation, I think that, that Cinderella was actually... The, the animation is just so so fluid and the story is so compelling and the and the witch the the evil stepmom oh evil stepmother evil stepmom she has the greatest voice ever so i have a soft spot in my heart for the cinderella yes i can't do it so you're right this uh this pick really did change my opinion of you completely (laughs) 
But it's a movie that features mostly female characters, Paul, ever after. Well, you got that. And mm. Leonardo da Vinci. And a great cameo from Leonardo da Vinci. Maybe, Back from the dead. Maybe George the Third. To be an ever after. <laughs> so there you go. All right, number one for you, Paul. <laughs> what? You know, that's not even... Well, I, I guess I don't even know if Cinderella actually has a time period. But Leonardo da Vinci came way before. Like, like the original Sleeping... Or the, the original Cinderella was like 1700s, right? I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? I, I've not gotten in that deep into Cinderella lore. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, failed, I failed the show. I failed the show. I didn't get deep enough. Yeah. Anyway, number one for me, I cheated on this one. All and right. Broke some of my own rules that I just stated that I oh, was good. following. Thank you. So. Thank you for giving me some easy fodder. Yeah. Number one, Casino Royale. This is on my honorable mentions list because I've. And I didn't pick it because it broke my rule of I haven't seen all of the original. Yeah, no, I I sat through the whole original piece. Um, wait, wait. So that means you haven't seen? I have the, seen no. The I new have, one? No, I have seen the the new one too. Oh. But the thing is, so what rule does this break so for you? When you were talking about, is it really a remake? I mean, oh sure, yeah. Because that, that's a tough one too. The the nineteen sixty seven version of Casino Royale was made when James Bond fever was at its pitch and so it took the name of an actual Ian Fleming book and completely changed the story and made it into this weird surreal James Bond spoof. It right. has David Niven, it has Peter Sellers, it has all of these people who were really famous back in 1967 and it is Maybe one of the worst movies I have ever seen. <laughs> it is a terrible movie, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, I didn't make it through the whole thing. Yeah. It, it's it's and just I like hard those to watch. Guys, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just so surreal and just kind of dumb and yeah. it didn't just, particularly land any laughs. No. No. And and I don't think that the filmmakers even knew what they wanted to do. By the end, they were just they were just taping things and throwing it together, and you know that's it. Meanwhile, the nineteen the two thousand six version. Mm. Daniel Craig, what a great way to relaunch the James Bond saga. In my mind, it's the best James Bond movie out there. It's incredible. And, and it would be right up there with me as well, um, except for one scene that I found really, really hard to watch. <laughs> oh, which one was that, Paul? <laughs> Why don't you describe it for us? Because I know. <laughs> we won't even get into it. But Does it have to do with a chair <laughs> and a naked it, James it just, Bond? It hurts me even to think about it. Oh, my goodness. So in an angry Mads Mickelson, but I tell <laughs> Mads Mickelson, he is the dude. He is a really great bad guy. So anyway, the 2006 version of, of Casino Royale was pitch perfect. James Bond um, really introduced him to a new age in a way that was respectful to the old. I mean, all of these James Bond movies in some ways, especially the new ones, cater to this sense of nostalgia that we have for the character himself. And this one was great. I think for the new versions, Skyfall is still my number one. Sure. But Casino Royale, pretty yeah. tough to beat. According to the people, though, Casino Royale rates better on IMDb, 8.0 compared to 7.8. Oh, that's interesting. That Skyfall got. But both good movies. But Casino Royale, for my money, out of those two, was the more satisfying and fun movie compared to Skyfall, which is crazy because I, I know I've talked about that with Skyfall before, that it has everything I want in a movie, but for some reason it didn't work Yeah, for me the way I hoped it would. But Casino Royale, yeah, it's yeah. better than the original. Yeah, see, sure. I, th I th actually think Skyfall should have been nominated for a Best Picture. Honestly, it was that good. And Casino Royale is super good and super watchable, but not quite that good. You can you can have you are entitled to your opinions. All right, number one for me, Paul uh, doesn't break any of my rules, <laughs> which is unusual for you. But it might cause you to it might cause you to protest, anyways. All right, and that is because for me, the best remake of all time is 2005's The Office. <sighs> better is way better than 2001's. British version, UK version, yeah. the OG, The Office, starring Ricky Gervais. You know, I really want, I really, I, I really want to argue with you because I feel like we haven't argued enough this this <laughs> episode. But 
I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's cool. Yeah. I, I, the only reason I thought you might argue is... Because it's TV. It's TV, but we didn't specify. We didn't so specify. I could have technically brought in a video game in here or an album. Yeah. But, no. yeah. Uh, no, 2001's The Office is well regarded and has a cult following, and it it spawned the American version. So for that, right. I'm grateful. But I have tried multiple times to get all the way through The Office from 2001 with Ricky Gervais, and I can't even get out of the first episode. Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting thing. And I, I love British humor. Yeah, no, it's 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 a crazy thing, and and Ricky Gervais is really funny, but. The British version of the office office is really it's kind of mean spirited. Yeah, you know it, it feels a lot darker. It feels meaner. It feels just bleaker in a way. And although the American version of the office has, you know, obviously Michael is a terrible boss. Yeah. Blah 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 blah. It, there's there's a lot of really uncomfortable humor that is involved with it but there's this sweet core to it i mean right. it, it comes across sometimes as really incredibly sweet and 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 bittersweet at times i mean almost melancholy and i think that it, it feels to me like it has a little bit more emotional depth absolutely the genius of the office that we talk about but i don't think fully appreciate is how pitch perfect the writing and the yeah the exploration of the character of michael scott is yeah because you to have somebody who can be so supremely unlikable and at times so incredibly mean yeah and callous and cold-hearted and ignorant and obtuse and any negative thing, like all these things we hate yeah. in characters and they drive you crazy that they can take him and that Steve the writers and Steve Carell what they did to be able to take you from that moment to make you feel like he he's the villain in the same episode sometimes in the same scene to make you feel like he's the victim like, I just want to give him a big hug. Yeah. My heart breaks for this guy. It's the saddest thing I've ever seen. And then, on top of how difficult it is to do that with a character, to make it one of the funniest shows ever on TV is just really astonishing when you think about it. Yeah. It's, it, is, it is a brilliant show. It really is a brilliant show. I can't say that I've watched every single episode, but every time I have watched it, I have been, and of course it has, content caveat, it has its problems, but um, in terms of the writing, in terms of the of the emotion that you feel as you watched, in terms of the characterization, it's hard to beat. Yeah, this will be another one for me. Again, when I'm 50 years old and Paul is a filthy rich man whispering Rosebud on his deathbed, after he's <laughs> plundered my childhood through with Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes, part four. Someone else will come along. Versus Dracula. And somebody else will, will come along and say, hey, we ought to remake The Office. I know, that's the thing, and right? And that's going to put the stake through my heart. That really is the thing, because you know in 20 years someone is going to want to remake The Office. It was so great the first time. Yeah. We need to bring it to a new generation. And it'll likely be terrible. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe it'll make, if we're still doing this podcast then, maybe it'll make our list We'll then. see. We'll see. All right. So what for you, for your money, is the best remake that's better than the original? Let us know on the Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. And now it's time to move on to the most least important thing. We are in the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single show. It's it's a it's a favorite around here, depending on who you we ask on any given day, Sunday. We love it. We love it, Jay. You can hear it dripping from Paul's voice. <laughs> That's where we take the mighty mountains of pop culture and we reduce them down to mustard seeds and vice versa. We turn mustard seeds into mountains because we're miracle workers. That's right. And so uh, actually, you know, I have a unique thing to bring to the most least important thing this time, Paul. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and and the unique thing is, is I'm here to admit that I was wrong. That is a first. That that's that may be a first on this show. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, a couple a couple of episodes ago, I brought a most least important thing to the table that I was very excited about, and I gushed about it, and um, and that was Madden 
Mobile, the Madden Mobile update. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It became Madden Overdrive. I was very excited about how it looked and the innovation that I thought that Madden was bringing to the mobile football game. And now uh, I have to eat crow and say, please do not play this game. It's not fun. It it doesn't work. All the updates are garbage. And uh, I, I don't play it anymore. <laughs> All the updates are garbage. <laughs> I thought they were gonna. I thought they were gonna make it better, and I thought I was gonna, you know, lose even more time, lose even more sleep, you know, building my football dynasty on my phone. But no, it's not fun. I can't even. I've I've tried. It wasn't even like I tried and I didn't like it. I tried and I pushed myself and I played for a while. I tried to build my team, and I just had to come to the conclusion that it's not fun. Oh. That they killed something good. I this is this, this is my third. This is my fourth year of playing Madden Mobile. And this is the first year that's not been fun. Wow. They killed it. They murdered it. So uh, that little thing that I tried to make a big thing, I'm taking it and I'm making a little thing again. It's it's least important. That is very sad. Yeah. I, I feel actually a little tiny bit bad for you. Yeah. It's a not really. Not it's really. a bummer, guys. So um All right, well Don't don't do it. Don't if you if you were thinking about it and just don't. Well, you can actually watch real football now. We're in the middle of football season. That helps. So you don't actually have to play football. That helps a little bit. But when I watch football, I'm always inspired to play it is the problem. Uh, That's why I think it stings a little extra for me. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I'm I'm never inspired to play football. Paul, what do you have for us? Bring Bring me back up. Most least important thing. This was, speaking of nostalgia, one of the things that I loved when I was a kid is when the new Guinness Book of World Records came out. Yep. The I new Guinness Book of World Records has come out. It's and out? let me tell you, yes, it is out. And let me say, there are some crazy records. Outlandish, out- perhaps? Outlandish. So, let me ask you. What is the world record for most dice balanced on a cat's paw? Most dice balanced on a cat's paw are these um, six-sided dice. Six-sided dice. Okay. I needed to know. That's important. Because if it was like some of those 20-sided die, then that changes the answer. Oh, yeah. But six-sided dice, most balanced on a cat's paw, I'm going to say 34. (laughs) 34. A cat cannot hold up 34 dice. This is the Guinness Book of World Records. Anything can happen. Nine, I'm afraid. Oh. Nine. Well, that's fitting. A cat in Malaysia was able to balance nine dice. Still impressive. Still impressive. Not 34. So so what's the record for the most body piercings or modifications? I feel like this is is this just one that like people just go back and forth on because I've been seeing oh, some Guinness so. World yeah. Records for on this particular thing for a long time. Yeah, no, I think that um, if someone beats somebody else in in body piercings or modifications, they're going to get some more. Yeah, right? let's go with uh, nine hundred and seventeen. You know what? You are really overshooting. <laughs> <Yes. the mark. laughs> really overshooting what? the mark. <laughs> I'm overguessing. Five hundred and sixteen. Well, that's disappointing, Paul. Come on. <laughs> All, right. All right, give me some more here. Okay, so what are what what is the largest set of knitting needles? How big are the largest set of knitting? Like needles? how long? Yes, or, how long? Um, three meters. That's not too far off. But you're actually underguessing this time. Fourteen feet, six point three three inches. Oh, there you go. They are those are some large knitting needles. They seem yeah. impractical to me. But they do seem a little impractical. But what can you do? So and and finally, what is the longest time that someone has balanced a guitar on their forehead? Guitar on the forehead. This is one that you might go for next year. Interesting, interesting. Because it's Longest within reach, I think. It is. Okay, so that gives me a clue. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say 37 minutes. You are off by 30 minutes. Seven minutes. Seven minutes? See, I told you. Seven minutes, 3.9 I seconds. I could be a Guinness World Record holder. Yeah, you could. All I got to do is balance a guitar on my head for eight minutes. Yeah, on your forehead. So, yeah. Cause oh, yeah, on my forehead. Yeah. Yeah. So so you have to lean back and you know do the thing. So. This seems like but it a, seems like it, it's in reach. Yeah. Right. It seems like any circus performer could could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you too could be a Guinness Book of World Record setter. Yeah. You know, Dude Perfect. They've they've they now have a thing where they occasionally try to set like really ridiculous world records. Um, so recently, within the last year, they set one of their guys set the record for the longest. Lego walk 
ever. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Yeah, they literally set up a trench and <gasps> filled it with Lego pieces. Oh. And then he had to walk barefoot across it. That's so much worse than hot coals. Yeah. That is really, <laughs> really, really bad. Oh, my goodness. So That is a Guinness Book of World Record. But record, I, I you know, know what? Say. I feel like that's one I could do. Well, yeah. Mind over matter, right? Mind over matter. I can take the record away from Dude Perfect. You know what you could do? Hmm. You could do that while you're balancing a guitar on your head, while using large knitting needles. Brand new record. Brand new record. Yeah, the knitting needles would help with balance. Well, that's true. Right? Let us know what world record you'd like to break. I actually once, uh, I actually still have a, a world record, Paul. I can't believe I almost forgot to mention that. <laughs> I am a co-holder of the world record for the world's largest hacky sack circle. A co-holder with co-holder. how many other people? Uh, several hundred. I forget the exact number now. I want to say it was 314, somewhere around there. I think you need to give them all credit. Yeah. Can I don't, I don't know right their now? names. They were strangers uh, to me. They were strangers we to were you. All, so did you actually We were just... all in a cornfield in Illinois at, at a music festival, and it's like, let's try to break this record. And nobody has ever tried to break it since. Like, you know weird. What? Weird. I, I used to actually be one of the world record holders for the largest game of Uno. Really? Yes. Largest game of Uno. Yeah, 200 people at the time. Yeah. So, yeah, That's it was impressive. It was a complicated thing. I feel like I feel like we know enough people that are in a similar space here that we could probably break both of those records. Hmm. Those are All right, we'll give it some thought. All right. We'll let you guys know. We'll let you guys know. You let us know if you have any world weird world records that you're Headed after, yeah. or a part of, and uh, you let us know on the Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. And until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye.